From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. How do you know when you need a mental health break? I'm putting that question to Dr. Koshal Nanavati, the Assistant Dean of Wellness at Upstate, an Assistant Professor of Family Medicine, and Medical Director of Integrative Therapy. He's also a frequent guest on HealthLink on Air. Thank you for being here, Dr. Nanavati. Thank you for having me again, Amber. Now, the world saw tennis star Naomi Osaka pull out of the French Open earlier this year. She cited mental health concerns. So I wonder, is that going to inspire people to put their mental health first, do you think? I think whenever people who are in the public eye take steps to, uh, in whatever direction, whether they take care of their health uh, or whatever else they're going to make as a decision, there's always a you know magnifying uh, lens on them. I think Naomi Osaka uh, took a bold and brave and uh, self-affirming step uh, to recognize that she needed to work on some components beyond her tennis game to optimize her living experience. And I think that's something to be commended. Uh, and at her level, she understood the consequence, uh, the potential risk of you know pushback and feedback from those within not only her tennis community, but the world at large. Uh, and at the same time, I don't know even know if that was her primary driver as much as the fact that she realized that she needs to take care of herself. Uh, and that's really, really important. It's wisdom at a young age. And I think for some people, that's kind of a hard thing to get to. So let me ask you, how, how can a person tell if they're burning out? Are there signs or symptoms to watch out for? There's actually a definition for burnout, which says that burnout is a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed and is characterized by three things or three dimensions. One is feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. The other is increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job. And then the third is reduced professional efficacy. So burnout really refers to the phenomena in a work or occupational context shouldn't really be applied to describing experience in other areas of life, officially, that is. I was going to ask you about the difference between um, people in high-stress jobs necessarily versus low-stress jobs, but it also makes me wonder, I mean, people that don't have traditional paid work could also face burnout, I imagine. So it's it's a very interesting uh, thing that you asked because high stress and low stress are obviously relative, right? To the person, to the context of their environment. In fact, when we think about features uh, of jobs or, or work-related situations, occupational situations that uh, can actually result in burnout, uh, there are several things that we think about. So one, uh, if you want to start from the proverbial top, uh, it has to do with leadership, right? It has to do with expectations that are known, set, understood, clarified. Uh, it has to do with things like, you know, requirements. And then if there's clarity on what you're expected or what to do or what's expected from you. And then also the impossible requirements are oftentimes people are given a responsibility, but not the adequate time or resource. And then they have to kind of figure it out, right? So in the startup world, Oftentimes there's lack of resource, but, you know, a plethora of ideas and then, you know, you're told just go with it. Uh, but now people are working 18, 20 hours a day to make it happen. And so this idea of life balance, their perceived life balance 
is something that can get affected. So initially you're excited, right? Because you got this opportunity. And then soon you realize that, yeah, but this is like a, almost like an endless or bottomless pit because you can keep going down that path uh, and your physical resource, your emotional resource, your mental resource, your other commitments, especially possibly on the personal side, those now are getting taken from, right? So, you know, my wife, I give her a lot of credit for some of the insights that I've gleaned over time, but oftentimes, you know, she's reminded me that it's wonderful when you say yes to others, but what that does is also takes away from the time here. And so you wanna make sure that we're feeling balanced in the process. And it's really great insight for uh, someone to kind of keep, which is who have you committed to uh, in your personal life? When you take on new commitments, uh, how are you balancing both sides of the equation, you know? And it seems like if you don't balance those, you could end up in a situation where you feel more stress in your, you know, your home life, so to speak, than you do at work, right? If you've taken on too much. And I agree. And I think, you know, again, it's it's relative to the person. So I'm not here to say that there's one way and you have to, you know, do it one way or my way, because even for me at different stages in my life, that word balance has meant different things depending on the commitments, stages of our own lives, even at work. And we talk about burnout being a work oriented thing. Even at work, it's a matter of what we're doing, who we're with, what roles and responsibilities we have, uh, what position we're in, and all of that makes a difference. Now, I know it's typecasting to say, you know, a high stress job might be, uh, you know, on Wall Street versus um, a low stress job being maybe a uh, an accountant or something, not during tax time, but during other times of the year. I was going to say, that's an example. <laughs> Don't tell Season, my accountant Seasonality, that. right. But I, I just wonder if you see people burning out more in the higher stress or more demanding jobs. I think, I think what's interesting is one of the uh, thoughts about it is, you know, uh, consequence, right, for failure is one of those things that we don't talk about enough. But, you know, there's a lot of in the, the world of wellness and well-being and in terms of people who are the thought leaders, you know, they talk about how, you know, fa failure is necessary to uh, understand limits, boundaries, and expand your boundaries. And we should be able to, you know, allow people to fail so that they can actually learn new skills. But at the same time, you know, jobs that have high consequence, you think about lawyers, you think about, you know, even in healthcare uh, and potentially even accountants, right? At the end of the day, if there is a high consequence, even with one failure, now suddenly it's going to be a very high stress uh, job. And for that environment, you know, your margin of error becomes so slim, uh, especially when lives are at stake, that for those people, the potential to burn out, especially if they're feeling a lack of uh, personal control over their environment. So, you know, providers that uh, have schedules that are untenable, uh, or especially when people have to complete work after hours, um, or, you know, additional time is required at home. Uh, you know, teachers actually are one of the groups that has one of the highest degrees of burnout. And for them, a lot of it has to do with lack of autonomy uh, and oftentimes lack of resource. When you think about with COVID, uh, you know, one of the bigger issues has been in terms of how they get to instruct and the fact that they don't necessarily have full control with hybrid models, et cetera. Uh, and yet the expectation from the system are that they'll still achieve a certain level 
in terms of their pupils and how they perform on standardized tests at a time when you know standardized measures are not in place for what we've known in the past. You're listening to a discussion about the importance of mental health on Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm speaking with the Assistant Dean of Wellness and the Director of Integrative Therapy, Dr. Koshal Nanavati. How do you differentiate between good stress and bad stress? And I wonder if too much good stress can be dangerous. So good stress actually has a name. It's called U-stress, E-U-stress. And then there's distress, right? Uh, and we want to de-stress, really. And that is actually the balancer between the two. So, you know, good stress is something that excites you, uh, that gets your adrenaline pumping, your blood flowing. When you stay at that level, there's still a component in the body in which the stress hormones are still elevated. You know, and while you're enjoying it at the moment, when it gets sustained for too long a time frame, that can lead to biophysical changes as well as an overwhelmed feeling for some people at times. Plus, that initial high tends to fade over time, especially if there's not some kind of new stimulation for people, right? Distress or bad stress, again, that leads to a mood effect right away, emotional effect right away. Uh, and now motivation really gets, you know, kind of drained very quickly. So, you know, rather than distress, you change one vowel and you get de-stress. And oftentimes the issue is even in high stress situations, when people don't have downtime, right? Or recovery time, right? So if you're constantly draining the tank and not filling it back up, at some point you're gonna be empty, right? Whether it's you stress or distress, you're emptying the tank. And so you got to take the time to replenish uh, and in the moment, it can be things like taking a deep breath or being mindful or meditation. But in the long term, to sustain it, it comes back to the things that you and I have you know, spoken about several times, optimizing the nutrition and the physical activity. And exercise is a great way to de-stress, right? To focus on the things that you can do something about and to let go of the things you can't control because that's oftentimes where people get stuck, right? Uh, to not be stuck in the past oftentimes emotionally or mentally because that is depressing especially when you can't go back and change that or people who get anxious about you know what if and the problem is the what if is an infinite potential and so now we're stuck there versus recognizing i've got this moment and in this moment can i find some degree of peace or contentment the goal is happiness and happiness is a uh, something that there's actually studies that show that people who hinge their happiness on achieving a goal, they kind of yo-yo through happiness in their life because if they get the goal, they're happy. If they don't get the goal, they're not. But people who have a sense of what they call durable plentitude, which is, I am enough, right? And now, whatever circumstance I'm in, I know that I've got the result within me to be able to manage and to rebalance based on what my needs are, so that I can feel a sense of happiness or joy or contentment or peace, whichever of those that I value most. If a person takes off work for a mental health day, what's the best way to spend that day? So again, uh, you know, the best answer in medicine is it depends. So it depends, Amber. Uh, and the <laughs> reason I give that answer is because for some people, it might be getting to the bank, right? Uh, and getting their finances done. Others might need to go grocery shopping or, uh, you know, do the lawn. 
some people might need to just take a nap, right? Sleep. Uh, others may feel like, you know what? I would like to get out into nature and go on a hike. Now, sometimes people do physically challenging things during down times and it's rejuvenating in the moment, but the body does require recovery, right? So like the weekend warrior phenomena that can actually potentially even lead to injury. And so the key is consistency and it's trying to pace ourselves. One study was interesting that showed that people that did 10 minutes of exercise a day versus people that did 30 minutes three times a week, the people that did 10 minutes a day were more likely to make it a habit, right? And so, again, this idea of recovery and then, you know, going, 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 going until you hit the wall and then taking a break versus incorporating into a regular routine, which you can sustain over time, leads to improved sustainable outcomes so that in all spokes, you're able to perform at a better, more consistent level as well. So that would be one way to sort of build up some resiliency against burnout. I agree. And I think, you know, the, the, again, the word resiliency is one that has dual meaning. So it's used oftentimes by leadership as you know, what our, our teams showed a lot of resiliency through this pandemic and through, you know, hard times. And oftentimes it's perceived from the other side as basically what you're saying is we work like, you know, our butts off. Uh, without any breaks and kind of, you know, worked ourselves to the bone. Uh, and while leadership is trying to acknowledge it by saying resiliency, sometimes this idea of resiliency has actually a negative uh, perception because it usually is a result of people over committing, overdoing, going beyond. Uh, and we know that there's not really anything over 100%. So when people give 110%, that extra percent is coming from their other commitments, which could be family, children, spouses, you know, other social engagements. And so we always have to think about that. Uh, and I think it's about finding that sense of balance uh, and figuring out what contentment means at different phases and stages in our lives. Well, you've given us lots to think about. Thank you again to Dr. Koshal Nanavati. He's the Assistant Dean of Wellness at Upstate and Medical Director of Integrative Therapy. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.